Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, I want to focus on our second reading this week. This is the third Sunday of Advent. Our second reading is taken from Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. It's the earliest Christian text that we have. It dates from the early years of the 50s of the first century, so it's about 20 years before the first gospel is written. It's a very precious text for that reason. When you read 1 Thessalonians, think about that, the earliest text that we have. Paul is writing, of course, to that little Christian community that he founded. And these are among the last words of his letter, what we have in our reading today. He's given them what in the ancient Greek rhetoric was called the peroration, this kind of final word of encouragement. They are, I would submit to you, curious words. Here's what Paul says. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In all circumstances, give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Hmm. <laughs> Rejoice always? I mean, how is that possible? I don't care if you're the most optimistic, upbeat person in the world. Can you always rejoice? I mean, there are happy moments in the course of a day, a lot of happy moments in the course of a lifetime, but there are plenty of unhappy ones too. There are ups, but God knows there are downs. So how can we be expected to be upbeat all the time, to rejoice always? In fact, wouldn't it be hypocritical or, or even psychologically unhealthy to pretend that all is well all the time? Well, it's important to note here that Paul is not speaking of joy in a psychological or emotional sense. He's talking about joy in a much deeper way. It would indeed, and Paul knows this, it would indeed be impossible always to be psychologically upbeat. But listen, there is a joy which wells up from a much deeper place in the spirit, much deeper than the emotions or the passions or the mind. The joy that comes from the very bottom of the soul, that place that Meister Eckhart called die Seelengrund, the ground of the soul. What is that? It's the place where you are here and now being created by God. That place now at the very bottom, the very center of who you are, that comes into immediate contact with the Spirit of the Lord. It's that center that permeates and determines the whole of you, psyche, mind, emotions, body. When you realize that the one who is creating you is love right through, 
or in Thomas Merton's language, is mercy within mercy within mercy. When you realize that the one who's creating you from moment to moment is a power that wants only what is best for you, that cares for you, that knows you more thoroughly than you know yourself or can care for yourself, then you rejoice. Not again in this sort of passing, purely emotional way. Not with a joy that passes with your changing moods. Not a joy that depends upon changing circumstances. But a joy that the world cannot take from you. So when Paul says, rejoice always, I think he means this. Access that ground of your soul and live consistently out of it. In that way, no matter what happens to you, you have a joy that the world can neither give nor take away. Rejoice always. Okay? Secondly, he says, pray without ceasing. Now, again, this seems to be a fairly counterintuitive recommendation. I mean, prayer is a great thing, but we can't pray always, can we? We can't stay in church all day. We can't keep our noses buried in prayer books morning, noon, and night. We can't all become Trappist monks, can we? So what does it mean to say pray always, pray without ceasing? Well, I mean, of course Paul knew this. Paul was a tent maker. And hence he was an artisan. He was a craftsman. He was a businessman, too. He had to sell the tents to live. Paul certainly knew about all the rituals of prayer in the temple, but Paul didn't spend every waking moment in the temple. We know he traveled around. He was on his missionary journeys and so on. So what's he, what does he mean when he says pray without ceasing? I don't know if you're aware of the wonderful little book called The Way of the Pilgrim concerns a Russian spiritual seeker who discovered the importance and power of the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He's taught that prayer by a great Russian spiritual master who says him very blithely, pray it a thousand times. When he returns, said, I've done it. I prayed that prayer a thousand times. He said, good, pray it 10,000 times. When he finished that, he said, good, pray it 50,000 times. In that way, that prayer worked its way into his being, into his body, into his muscles and lungs and breath. It worked its way into the whole of his life. So that prayer began to determine every aspect of the pilgrim's life. It became a prayer of the heart and the soul, a habitual standing in the presence of God. You see, it's a way of accessing what I just talked about, that Zeilengrund, the ground of the soul. Paul's recommendation doesn't have to do with explicit formal prayer. Nothing in the world wrong with that. But it doesn't have to do with that kind of explicit prayer. It has to do with that largely unconscious, all-pervading awareness of God. 
Once you've found that place, you do indeed pray all the time, in season and out, when you feel like it and when you don't, when you're in a kind of sacred mood, when you're in a very secular mood. Prayer, this accessing of the deep place of God in you, becomes second nature to you, and it permeates the whole of your life. You know, in the great saints, you see this, where whatever they were doing, there's always this implicit reference to God. There's always the at least unconscious awareness of how God is acting. That's what Paul's talking about. Pray unceasingly. And then the final recommendation. In all circumstances, give thanks. Again, what could be more counterintuitive? I mean, there are times when I feel motivated to give thanks, times of success or joy or pleasure, but God knows There are times when I feel anything but thankful. But that duality comes from reading life in a relatively superficial way, from looking only at the immediate impact of events. But see, in the biblical perspective, God is active in all times, in all places, in all things. Again, it's because God is not a distant supreme being but rather the creative and provident ground of all things. God is constantly luring, drawing, cajoling, inviting his creation to himself. How does he do it? Through success and failure. Through joy and sorrow. Through triumph and disappointment. God, who is that potter working with the clay. We talked about that two weeks ago. God works in and through all. And therefore, one should give thanks no matter what. One should see one's setbacks and thwarted plans, not simply as as dumb failure, but as the intervention of God. God, as it were, opening door, another door, or another path. You know, right now, I'm reading one of the most extraordinary spiritual books I've ever read. It's that one that came out a couple years ago. It's the account of Mother Teresa's personal spiritual life. It's called Come Be My Light. It made the news a couple years ago because we hear in this book of Mother Teresa's very deep struggle with a kind of spiritual darkness. Oh, the beginning of her religious life, she was full of fervor, had a very strong sense of God's presence. She even encountered Christ, spoke to her, directly and personally, inviting her to do this great work. She struggled, she strove, and she established her community. And then, almost from the first day of her community's existence, she entered into a very dark place where she felt not the presence of God, but the absence of God. She felt not closeness to Christ. She felt that Christ had abandoned her. She went so far as to talk about but not believing. Now, it doesn't mean that in some atheistic way. It just means she had this deep feeling of isolation from God. But you know what strikes you all through that book? And she's, she is, is very frank. She's at times painfully honest about this struggle. What strikes you is she continued to give thanks. She continued to rejoice 
And by God, she continued to pray. Easy to pray? Uh Uh-uh. On the contrary. Read that book. Read that book. How difficult it was at times for Mother Teresa to pray, especially when she was really feeling this darkness. Easy to rejoice? No, no. People would come to her and they'd say, Oh, Mother, you are a great saint. You're my inspiration. And she'd, even as she felt interiorly this, this kind of, conflict she she you know I, I i'm not i'm i'm struggling probably more than you are but she'd meet them with a smile she thanked god for his presence in the early days of her ministry and she thanked god yes even for his absence in those latter days i i found that book extremely moving and it's an example of a great saint who was following these paradoxical recommendations of St. Paul. Somebody who knew, boy, oh boy, did she know the ups and downs of life. Did she know light and darkness? Did she know ordinary psychological joy and sorrow? Here's someone working with with uh, 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 people in the worst circumstances. But yet, she prayed without ceasing. Yet, she gave thanks in all circumstances. Yet she rejoiced always. Friends, as Christmas approaches, as Advent now is moving along, let these words of Paul sink into your soul. Let the example of Mother Teresa stay in your heart as well. Yes, life is full of its ups and downs, but that doesn't affect this deepest place in us where we constantly rejoice, where we constantly pray, and where we do nothing but give thanks. And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you.